Well, the Bible is what it's all about because it's God's word and it does show us the way to eternal life. Thank you for being here this morning because of your interest in spiritual things and honoring the God of heaven and listening to his word, the Bible. Uh, I am not the Bible. I am just a messenger. And uh, I want you to check out what we say this morning and what we always say here in the Bible to make sure that it's true. And if you find it to be true, let it guide your life. Take it into your heart and use it. Thank you for being here this morning to honor God. If you're visiting with us, you're our guest, but it's the privilege of all of us to be in the presence of God and to honor him in this way. This morning I want to talk about in God there is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. And in talking about enthusiasm, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means something like to be, to be stirred or to be thrilled. One, one dictionary says it's great excitement for or an interest in a subject, a source or cause of great excitement or interest. But then you get down to the archaic definition of enthusiasm. And here's what it says. Ecstasy arising from possession by God. That's a strange, that's a strange definition. Ecstasy arriving, arising from possession by God. So you kind of have to go back to the uh, etymology of the word enthusiasm to get where that's coming from. The word in, in enthusiasm, E-N, comes from the Greek. It just means in. But enthusiasm comes from theos, God. In God. Enthusiasm literally comes from two words that mean in God. And that they would come to mean excitement and ecstasy and thrill is, I think, very appropriate. Because in God, there is thrill. There is excitement. There is wonder. And there is awe. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. It is thrilling to have God in us and to be in him in this fellowship. It is wonderful to have a, a living experience with the God of creation and the one who sent his Son to live and die for us. In Psalm 33 and verse 21, for our heart shall rejoice in him. In him there is joy. In him there is enthusiasm. A lot of people today, nowadays, get excited about ball games or sporting events. I turned on the TV for a little while yesterday and watched a little bit of a couple of the college football games. And you see people in the stands. And to say that they're excited is kind of understated. I mean, I mean you've got people painting their faces, painting their bodies, screaming at the top of their lungs. You know, If that's what it takes to be enthusiastic, maybe we're falling short, but I don't think that is what it takes to be enthusiastic for God. It's interesting to me as you watch a football game, and I know many of you do, that you, you have in the crowd these, you know, again, crazy people. I mean, just crazy people doing all of this uh, loud noise and jumping up and down and everything else. But I noticed that there's this thing in football, if you're familiar with the game, where when the other team has the ball, uh, 
the home team wants to scream and shout and carry on so loud that the, 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 guy, the team that has the ball, their opponents, can't even hear the signals being called. And so they just go crazy. But when their team has the ball, the home team, it gets as quiet as, a, you know, you could hear a pin drop. Nobody's making a sound because they want their team to be able to hear the signals and carry out the play well and all that sort of thing. So if you were watching the Alabama game a, a week ago, and again, I know some of you are guilty of that, uh, we were playing Texas A&M. I don't think Greg is here this morning. Sorry about that, Greg. We were, we were playing Texas A&M, and that was a loud stadium. And uh, Alabama had a whole bunch of pre-snap penalties because we couldn't hear the signals. Those, those fans were enthusiastic. But they weren't screaming and shouting like that when their team was trying to call the signals. Now I say all that just to say this. Enthusiasm shows itself in different ways. To assume that enthusiasm means we need to be jumping up and down and waving our hands and carrying on in a worship assembly is a bad assumption. Because often silence shows enthusiasm. It shows that you're excited about something that's happening. And what's happening in a worship assembly is that people are showing their adoration to God. And a lot of extra noise and a lot of carrying on is not going to help us show our adoration to God. In fact, it's going to take away from it. And when we, when we carry on so much in a worship assembly as some you know, people do in some places that you can't even hear the sermon being preached. I have been in an assembly where the preacher's been trying to preach and there's so much amening and hallelujahing going on in the, the group that you can't even hear what the preacher's saying. How does that honor the Word of God? How does that, you know, make give me the Bible come true? It's not the Bible you want to hear. It's your own shouting and carrying on. So enthusiasm, real excitement for God and for a relationship with Him and to honor Him, sometimes that might, count for, that might cause some shouting. Sometimes it might cause someone to say amen really loud. Sometimes, though, it's just quiet meditation and honoring God. But many do get excited about sporting events. Some people get excited about a lot of other things. You might get excited about some new clothes that you were given. Maybe you're given a lady a new dress or a man a new suit or a nice, uh, nice camo outfit to go deer hunting with or a sports jersey or whatever it might be. You might get excited uh, at the side of Bucky's when you're hungry for a, a brisket sandwich. You know, Some people get enthusiastic about that. All sorts of things that we can get enthusiastic about. But I, I really want to share with you this morning that we need to be enthusiastic about eternity and about serving the God of heaven. I believe that Christians, Christians who are excited to tell good news and tell a new joke that we've heard or share something that's wonderful that's going on in our family need to be just as enthusiastic about the gospel. 
I believe that Christians who are excited about a new baby coming into the world and want to tell everybody that that's their child or their grandchild or their great niece or whoever it is and show all of the pictures because they're so enthusiastic about that new human being need to be excited and enthusiastic about new life in Christ that leads us to eternal life. And so I'm saying to you that enthusiasm in physical things is fine, but enthusiasm in spiritual things, because God is in you, is the greatest enthusiasm of all. The scriptures teach us to be enthusiastic in a lot of different ways and using a lot of different words. The wise man in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It's not lackluster. It's not just halfway, but you're giving everything to whatever it is that you do. We should be enthusiastic in anything that's good that we're doing in our lives. But when it comes to God, we give all of ourselves to him. What what we learn from Mark 12 and verse 30 is that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. That again is suggestive of enthusiasm. And the word that's used particularly in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 about this, where we're told to not be lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The NET Bible there says enthusiastic in spirit. That's the New English translation. Fervent is translated from uh, a word in Greek, zeo, which is literally means to, to, to be hot, to, to boil over, if you will. So enthusiasm, that the enthusiasm that's, that's enjoined upon us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 is like energy, energy that, that boils over the pot and runs down on every side. It's just a boiling over of energy and inward devotion. Enthusiasm. Be fervent in spirit. Be enthusiastic. Do everything heartily. Again, and there's a word that suggests enthusiasm in Colossians 3 and verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not as to men. Jesus created a lot of enthusiasm when he walked this earth. He created it at his birth. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 14, the angels are saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Shepherds were hearing that. And so it was in verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. How do you think they went about that? I mean, the words are described that they said, the actions that they did, those are described there. But how do you think those shepherds, uh, you know, went about that? How were they acting? How, how How were these words said? You know, so the angels, they see this great sight, the angels proclaiming the birth of the Christ and, you know, the angels go away and the shepherds turn to one another and they say, uh, 
you know, what do you think about maybe just moseying on down to Bethlehem after lunch and we'll see how, <laughs> we'll see what's going on down there. You think that's how they said it? I don't think so. Let us go. Let us go and see. Because the king has been born. Glory to God in the highest. And his coronation entry into Jerusalem, Jesus had so many adoring disciples and people who had been moved by him and touched by him and taught by him. And he's entering into Jerusalem this week of the Passover, just before that begins. And, and there's so much excitement surrounding him. In Luke 19 and verse 37, as he was drawing... As he was drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Almost the same thing, by the way, the angels said when he was born. Now the whole crowd, all the crowds are shouting it. The children are crying out. When the leaders of the Jews... Try to get everybody to hush and they, they tell Jesus, you know, don't you hear what they're saying about you? And Jesus says, in essence, if they weren't doing it, the stones would cry out. What a spontaneous, you talk about a flash mob, a spontaneous parade of adoration and enthusiasm for the coming king. People get so excited about so many things, but I don't think anybody was ever more excited than folks were about Jesus Christ. Any more enthusiastic than they were about him. Many were so enthusiastic that they could not stop praising him, could not stop telling others about him, could not stop their momentum towards serving him. In Mark 5 and verse 20, when Jesus had healed a man possessed by a legion of demons, he departed, it says, and Mark 5 and verse 20, began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Here's the enthusiasm of one man who'd been healed of a legion of demons, and he's going around all over the place proclaiming this, and I imagine that proclamation was very animated, very enthusiastic, as he told people about this wonderful thing that had happened to him. And everybody was impressed, not only by what he was telling them, but I think by his enthusiasm as well. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, Jesus tells her everything about her, and she's so impressed. She realizes this must be the Messiah. She leaves her water pot, water pot. She had just complained moments before about having to come all the way to this well and draw water. And yet now she leaves her water pot. That's insignificant to her. And she, and she goes back into town, goes into the city and says to the men, come see a man which told me all the things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? And again, you can just see the enthusiasm in the words. Here's somebody that everybody needs to know about. Here is the Christ that we've been waiting for. I'm going to preach a lesson tonight, Lord willing about the hope of Israel regarding what's going on in Israel and the Gaza Strip right now and the violence that's over there 
But I'll just give you a little preview of that right now. The Samaritan woman came face to face with the hope of Israel and with the hope of Samaria, where a lot of Palestinians live right now, and the hope of the world. And she could not contain it. She was so excited. Here is, here is the hope of Israel. Here is the Christ that we have been waiting for. Could this be the Christ? She knew that that would make all the difference. In Jews, in Samaritans, in her, in everyone. Jesus, in Mark chapter 7 and verse 36 heals a man who's a deaf mute. He commanded them that they should tell no one about that. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. It was just such a thrilling thing. You see, enthusiasm is contagious. If we have it, others are going to pick up on it. If we behave enthusiastically... It'll make a difference in the way others behave, in the choices that they make. I read a story about a guy who was, uh, he was a psychology student, but he'd been drafted in the army, and he was working on a chow line in, uh, you know, the mess tent in uh, the army one day. He was at the end of the line. So you have, if you've ever been through, you know, one of those kinds of army cafeterias, and I have a few times in my life, you have this uh, chow line, and you have... Uh, soldiers on the other side of the line and they're dishing out whatever it is they're you know in front of them to dish out so you might get mashed potatoes and whatever and whatever you get down to the end of the line and there's whatever fruit or dessert of the day right in this case the guy was dealing out his he was at the end of the line and he was serving up the apricots now you can imagine how much people you know I don't know if you like apricots or not most people don't really care for them very much so he's at the end of the line and he's dealing out the apricots and he decided, being a psychology major and having to be in the Army, he'd try a psychology experiment. And so what he did was, the first few people that came through, he said, uh, you don't want apricots, do you? <laughs> and nobody wanted apricots. And then he started saying, uh, you want apricots, don't you? And by saying that, fully 50% of the people, uh, the soldiers coming through, would take apricots, although... Army soldiers are notorious for hating apricots. Then he tried something else. People coming through the line, and he would say, you want one helping or two of the apricots? And he went from almost nobody wanting apricots to 90% of the people coming through the line wanting apricots because he was enthusiastic. Now, if you can sell apricots by being enthusiastic or give them away, what about Jesus? Jesus doesn't need selling. Just give him away. Just be enthusiastic. And I think that's what you see so many times in the life of Christ. Every salesman knows that enthusiasm is the yeast that raises the dough. We're not salesmen. We're not peddling the gospel, but we are sharing it. Let's be enthusiastic about Christ and his cause Let's be enthusiastic because of what Christ has done for us. He is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. If you're a Christian, he is the greatest thing that ever happened to you. 
He has changed our lives in ways that we could not have imagined before our lives were changed. He has done for us more than we ever imagined could be done. Here is the Christ. He has saved us. He has lifted the burden of sin from us, the fear of death, the fear of torment. All of it is gone because our Christ came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died a horrible death, was raised the third day, is now at the right hand of our Heavenly Father. He saved us. If we've obeyed the gospel, if we believed him and turned away from our sins and been baptized in water so that we might contact his death, burial, and resurrection, he saved us. And he can save others. He can save your loved ones, even your loved ones who've turned their back on him, those who've gone astray, but those who've never heard the gospel. He can save that person at work that's given you grief. He can save all of the people in Gaza and all of the people in Israel. And all of the people in the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. How can we not be enthusiastic about Him? Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. So, joy and positive thoughts and forward thinking are all a part of the mentality of a Christian. I want to just back up here and say for a moment, there there are people here this morning who have come with burdens, who have come with pains, who didn't have a great morning this morning, who have difficulties in your lives, and, and some of them, those difficulties might even be intruding on your thinking even as we're here right now. I know that. And maybe, maybe for many of us, with whatever's going on in our lives, with whatever challenges that we're facing, with, with whatever hard patches of life that we're going through, maybe, maybe this morning the last thing you think you needed to hear was a lesson on enthusiasm. But I hope you realize it's the first thing you needed to hear. To be so thankful and so happy and so excited that Jesus is your Lord through all of whatever you're going through. Jesus is your Lord. And he's with you. As the psalmist said of old, he has you by the right hand. And he'll guide you with his counsel. And he'll receive you into glory. He's the Savior of the world. And He is, to borrow a phrase, my right hand man, the Son of God. He's with you. So whoever you are and whatever's going on, understand that what we're talking about here is not Pollyannish. It's not pretending we don't have problems. It's acknowledging our problems, but acknowledging also that Jesus is the answer. And so joy and positive thoughts are the order of a Christian's life. Finally, brethren, Paul will say in Philippians 4 and verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, 
whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Think on these things. It's an attitude, again, that is positive, that is enthusiastic because of Jesus. Because we can give everything to Him. Whatever our anxieties are, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, he said earlier. And so he says then, even earlier than that, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4 and verse 4. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16, one translation says, rejoice evermore. Rejoice always. So let us then be enthusiastic about serving God. Let us have positive expectations for our service to God. For our life in Him. I saw a cartoon sometime back. There, there was a boy standing toe-to-toe and nose-to-nose, a schoolboy, with his teacher. And back behind it, you could see a... a blackboard with a lot of unanswered math questions on it and the boy is saying to the teacher I'm not an underachiever you're an overexpector." what are our expectations for ourselves and God they ought to be pretty high not because of what we're capable of but because of what he's capable of it's not because of who Steve Klein is who's basically nobody but it's who God is when he takes somebody who's nobody and does something with them. Each of us needs to see that, needs to understand that. Think about Moses. What did Moses expect out of himself? <laughs> Nothing. God, he comes to, God comes to him in the burning bush, sent, tries to send him to, to Israel to deliver his people. Uh, you know, send somebody else. I can't go. My mouth's no good. Uh, they won't believe me. On and on and on and on. He had zero expectations. And God basically says, Moses, it's not you, it's me. Just do what I ask you to do. And expect great things to happen. What about Gideon? You know, the angel comes to him, you mighty man of valor. He's, He's basically hiding from the Midianites. Who am I? I'm I'm, I'm the... Lowest, lowest kid in, in the smallest clan in, in all of Israel. God says, no, you're the one. You're the one who's going to deliver Israel. Jesus calls Peter and, and Peter says, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you'll catch men. Over and over again, we see people who knew they couldn't do it, but because of the Lord, they could. And you can too, and I can too. God has given us all, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Expect Him to use you. God's vision for your potential, and for each of us individually as well as for a church here at Eastside, is well beyond anything we have yet imagined. Can I say that again? God's concept of your potential is well beyond anything that you have yet imagined. Because, how do I know that? He can do exceedingly 
abundantly more than we're able to ask or think. That means that whatever you have imagined you might be able to do for the Lord through his power, you can do more, probably a lot more. And there's reason to be enthusiastic about that. Not down in the mouth, not I can't do it, not it'll never happen. But the Lord can use me, and he will. God can use you, and you should expect him to use you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, Paul tells Timothy, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that is from these things of the world, if you cleanse yourself, you can be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You're ready to do what God wants you to do. People, people need you to do what God has called you to do and is using you to do. They need your prayers. They need your friendship. They need your knowledge of Christ. We should expect ourselves to be used to influence others for the furtherance of his kingdom. Enthusiasm is the keynote that makes us sing and makes everybody else want to sing with us. It is being used by God to do what we didn't think we could do and allowing that to influence others. Expect victory over evil and over the evils of this world in all things that matter the most. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Jesus wins, and everybody who is with him wins also. He is victorious. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, we are not just conquerors, whatever it is we're facing. We are not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Whatever a victor is, whatever a conqueror is, whatever an overcomer is, you are more than that through God. Positive expectation. And along that line, and especially with regard to what we're focusing on here at Eastside this year, expect God to hear and answer your prayers. No matter how impossible they may seem to you, expect God to hear and answer your prayers. The Bible says, 1 John 3.22, Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Just do what God says. He'll answer your prayers. 1 John 5.14, This is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have received the petitions that we ask of Him. So expect, expect, for God to help you do much in his service. Be enthusiastic about it. If enthusiasm means being in God, we should have a positive expectation if we believe in God. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 17 verse 20, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. And to the father of an epileptic, demon-possessed boy, Jesus says in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Remember that enthusiasm is powerful. Enthusiasm is contagious if it's in God. 
we have on our walls over on each side of me thermostats. I hope everybody's comfortable this morning. We had a nice cool morning. It was a little warm in here. Now the air conditioner seems to have kicked on. It's not possible to keep everybody at their ideal temperature. <laughs> and so if you're not comfortable, I'm sorry about that, but it's, there's, there's an interesting thing we have over here on the wall. You know about that, right? It's called a thermostat. And because of what it's hooked up to and the energy that supplies it and the units that are outside, you can push some buttons on that and you can change the environment in this room a lot. From sweltering hot to so cold you're shivering. That's a thermostat. It's not a thermometer. It has a thermometer that tells you what te the temperature is. Thermometers are no good for changing anything. They just tell you what it is. You know, there are a lot of people who are Christians who are thermometers because they can tell you what it is, right? <laughs> Here's the situation we got right now. It's too cold in this church, literally or spiritually. It's too hot. Folks are out, you know, too demanding, too much of this, too little of that. Lots of folks can be thermometers. You be a thermostat. You make the change that you want to see. That's what enthusiasm does. Don't just see the problem. Don't just measure the temperature. Do something to make it better. I was glad when they said to me this morning, come, let us go to the house of God. Let's be enthusiastic just to be here. Enthusiasm pulls us out of mediocrity in the commonplace. Enthusiasm is a maker of friends, a maker of smiles, a producer of confidence, but mainly it can be a builder up of the saints and a strengthener of the church. As we close in just these last moments, The early church was thrust into a very hostile world. A world that did not want Christianity to succeed. And yet, they did succeed. And the enthusiasm that you see in early disciples is palpable as you read through the New Testament. They succeeded even though they were threatened even though they were jailed, even though they were beaten and killed. But they knew that their energy came from a divine source and they were in God. And because they were in God, there was enthusiasm. Each of us needs to look at ourselves this morning. Are we in God? Because if we're in God, there will be enthusiasm. As I've grown older, I realize that the passing years have wrinkled my skin. But lack of enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Don't be a wrinkled soul. I'm thankful that some of the oldest ones in this room are some of the most enthusiastic and whose souls are bright and beautiful and fresh. And we're so thankful for each of you. 
But if you are of any age this morning and you have a wrinkled soul and you've lost your enthusiasm, what's your relationship with God? Are you in him? Is he in you? What about it? What about a commitment this morning? What about a change this morning? Please come while we stand and sing.